0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know, everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening, enjoy the podcast, and stay safe.
0: BlueWire.
2: All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire and presented by BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Bandujo. Obviously, we are still in a quarantine, no sports world. So for this week's episode, we're going to do something something kind of fun. We're not covering a, a singular movie. The guys over at Tipping Pitches, great baseball podcast. On their pod, there, right now, they're doing a rewatch of and kind of analyzing the most famous baseball games ever, some of the greatest games ever. They uh, they just recently did the 91 World Series. If you, you've been listening to this podcast, you know I'm a Twins fan. That's big for me. I reached out to them, and today we are covering the the best fictional games, the best fictional baseball games that we would have wanted to attend. Uh, we talk about a lot of good baseball movies in this episode, uh, fun talk. And then towards the end, we we get into... What we think you know, the future of baseball movies might be, maybe talk about our wish list a little bit. It was a really good episode. Um, you know, Big thanks to Bobby and Alex for coming on the pod. Uh, a lot of fun. I posted a poll on Twitter at Big Underscore Screen Sport recently about I am going to start doing a non-sports movie, trying to do that once a month. Posted a poll. If you haven't yet, go vote. I've got a couple nominees for April's movie. I've got My Cousin Vinny, that thing you do, Billy Madison, or an other option. If if it's other, reply. Let me know what you think. Not much other housekeeping besides that. Just going to keep on keeping on uh, new episodes every Monday. For now, let's get to the guys at Tipping Pitches and talk the best fictional baseball games of all time. <music> All right, Kyle Banduho here, host of Big Screen Sports, and I am joined by the host of the Tipping Pitches podcast, Alex Baisley and Bobby Wagner. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on this special episode.
3: Thank you for having us. Yeah, man. This is our first guest appearance on another podcast, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Alex, right? Yeah, I believe so. And and we get to
1: uh we get to talk about baseball movies for like the entire time
2: it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time uh, I'm glad that you guys could join me while we are all locked in our respective houses in uh, in quarantine season but um, guys for listeners unfamiliar with your pod for for uh, you know fill them in what do y'all do where can you find it
3: yeah that's a great question Alex um, uh, the elevator pitch for our podcast is a little tough I think um, <laughs> <laughs> I think what it is is we try to focus on baseball everything but the actual statistics day to day so like everything but the end game score. So we talk about baseball as pop culture. We talk about labor a lot. We talk about um, any kind of social issues that kind of interact with the game uh, on a week-to-week basis. It comes out every Monday. You can find it literally wherever you hear podcasts. We've gone to painstaking detail to make sure that is the case. Am I missing anything, Alex? I, I don't think so. We're the we're the baseball podcast that absolutely does not stick to sports.
1: I think that's <laughs> that's how I would sum it up.
2: So, like, hypothetically, if the league was shut down by a national pandemic, you'd be discussing, like, the, uh, you know, the, the labor ramifications and, and kind of the goings on in that regard, right? Hypothetically, yes. Yes. Yeah. I think
1: a couple, <laughs> a couple weeks ago when we had on Bradford Davis of, uh, of the New York Post, we briefly touched on how climate change is going to affect Major League Baseball going forwards. So,
2: you know, like, the, just the light stuff like that. Big Sunrise Movement guys over here. <laughs> now, you're not talking about Mike Trout's OPS as much.
3: Well, you know, from time to time, Mike Trout's OPS will come up, and we'll just kind of be like, hey, that's a cool number, and then we'll move on.
2: <laughs> yeah, hey, that,
3: that
1: guy's good. Yeah, it's more about, oh, Mike Trout just created a TikTok.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had Sean Doolittle on a couple months ago, and we basically spent the first hour talking about Star Wars, and then Sean Doolittle called out Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson for being a nerd. And then that was the whole show. You know, that's, that's kind of our incredible.
2: Vibe. That's incredible. so one thing you guys are doing right now, though, is um, talking about the best historical games, correct?
3: Right. Yeah. So so we're kind of like trying to pick ten pole games. It's not necessarily going to be the best games, although we're uh, we're about to be two weeks into it and we've chosen two of the best games. But um, we're trying to pick games that we either are less familiar with or have never watched before and kind of are like part of the baseball lore. And we want to go back and sort of understand why. And from a 2020 perspective, react to how we would react to that game if it happened now. Yeah, maybe, maybe they'll be bad. Maybe we're watching
1: games from the 1970s, and we're like, "Baseball sucked back then. What were we? What were we doing?"
2: Well, we're recording this on March 25th, and I believe you guys just did uh, Game Seven of the '91 World Series, which uh, I have the the Twins. I have the the World Series VHS for the '91 World Series. Upstairs, oh my gosh! I, I Are you a Twins it. fan? I am. I am. It's a. It's been a. It's been a weird existence, I'll say that, but I uh, I would watch that, I would watch that as a kid almost daily, so uh, you, you picked a good one, but we today are going to talk about games that everyone has seen, pretty much. We're, we're going to break down our, our top three fictional baseball games that each of us would have wanted to attend in descending order, um, you know is it a wild game or something with a crazy atmosphere kind of anything we're we're just going to break it down in, in however we would have enjoyed whichever game we would have enjoyed the most. Um, I I think we, we all have some honorable mentions, Alex, you said you have a couple, what are your honorable mentions games that you didn't put in your top three, but just an honor, something you want to shout out that you might've wanted to attend.
1: Well, actually one that, one that I, I don't think is on any of our lists as I as far as I know, although you guys may have had it, is um is the natural and uh the, the one game playoff to end that game. And it it almost feels like too much of a cop out to to pick that game where where Roy Hobbs hits the home run and and the lights explode and it's like you one of the most parodied scenes in just sports movie history. But but it would have been dope to be there. I would have been, I would have been down to watch Roy Hobbs just obliterate the, the stadium
3: lights.
2: It was also an honorable mention of mine.
3: Yeah, yeah, me as well. So we all put in the honorable mention. <laughs> I think for fear that we would be uh, canceled as baseball and movie fans for not including the baseball movie that has Robert Redford in it.
2: <laughs> but I, you think about it for the like the first eight innings of that game, you're just watching Roy Hobbs and being like, "Is this guy gonna? Is he gonna die? Like it, <laughs> right. it's 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 a real tough look. Um, I don't I don't know how great that game would have been." Um, one that I had for honorable mention, as a Twins fan, I just have to include it, is the Twins-Mariners game at the end of Little Big League. Uh, it's potentially the most exciting Twins game in like a 15-year stretch until uh, game 163. So, you know, it, it didn't, didn't work out. You had the Ken Griffey Jr. walk-off home run, Rob, but it, it would have been, I would have liked to have been there. It's probably as hopping as the Metrodome got for a very long stretch of time. So that one was big for me. Alex, Bobby, did you have any other honorable mentions? I've got a couple more.
3: Yeah, I got two more as well. Um, I I guess this one's a little bit of a cheat. I have the combined baseball scenes of Bull Durham and specifically the mound (laughs) visits of Bull Durham. Um, Here's what Crash Davis says to Nuke Lelouch when he walks to the mound in the two separate scenes where he goes out there, where he uh, tips off the batter as to what the pitch is. He says, he really hit the shit out of that one, huh? And then he says in the next one, anything that travels that far should have a stewardess on it.
2: All-timer. So you would have, as opposed to being to attending that game, you would have wanted to be like a fly on one of Crash Davis's shin guards.
3: Yeah, or I'd want to be like the second baseman, you know, just kind of like <laughs> walking in and just listening to what happens. There's a really famous scene in Bull Durham, and Bull Durham is my favorite baseball movie as well, although it's obviously not about the actual games themselves because they're single a baseball games, and you don't actually ever really see the outcome of any of them. Um, but in one of the fam- most famous base, the most famous scenes from Bull Durham, um, they go out there and they're talking about one of their teammates' wedding registries. I would have just loved to be part of that vibe. It's Can't a hilarious sense. movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I had
2: another the uh, in just in Field of Dreams. I would like to have just watched the uh, the ghostly team scrimmage, the Black Sox scrimmaging. That would have also kind of led to some some deep inner thought, like, "Hey, am I dead? What? Why am I watching this?" So th- it might not have been quite as enjoyable. But if I could have gotten over the you know kind of kind of the uncertainty of hey am i about to walk into that cornfield and leave my my life as a living human behind i think it would have been kind of cool
3: yeah the scene where the scene where um the doc steps off the field and turns into an old man and the brother realizes that they've been on the field the whole time i would have liked to be there just for the satisfaction of seeing him um eat his own words because he's a total dickhead throughout that whole movie
2: Okay, well, I'm just gonna have to say I'm gonna my my take from my Field of Dreams episode <laughs> a few months ago. Mark got a bad rap. Mark the brother got a, he got a bad edit. It was very I mean a bad edit. <laughs> okay, if you're if your weird hippie brother-in-law like steamrolls his corn, builds a baseball field, tells you that there's ghosts on it, you can't see him. You're just like, what happened? What what were you people doing in Berkeley? <laughs> whack when you were in college like this is i'm trying to he even says it like i'm i'm offering you this deal because i love my sister i i mean i don't it's harsh he's got his cool jeep he doesn't want to be on that farm all the time i i feel for the guy
1: yeah it's it's a lot easier to be on uh, on ray Kinsella's side when you can also see the ghosts yeah. exactly. it's like it's kind of cheating a little bit
2: Exactly. I have two more honorable mentions of games, fictional games I would have wanted to attend. One is Stan Ross's 3000th hit game for Mr. 3000, (laughs) the alleged 3000 hit. Because just imagine being a Brewers fan and watching him walk off the middle, like the field in the middle of a pennant race, just legendary shitbaggery. It's like all time all time legendary shitbag move
1: I think that that has to go against at least one or two unwritten rules right? yeah (laughs)
2: at at least and then um, this one is kind of cheating it's not a movie and it's not a game but uh, Kenny Powers knocking out Reg (laughs) Mack eye in the Ashley Schaefer BMW parking lot (laughs) I was aiming for his fucking eye it's not (laughs) a movie and it's not a game but (laughs) we gotta talk about it I couldn't I couldn't not put it on I, I was watching right just gemstones last night i just i could not not put kenny powers knocking the eye out
3: alex do you have any more honorable mentions i have one more no go for it since when do vampires like baseball twilight i was (laughs) wondering if someone was gonna say that movie super (laughs) massive black hole by muse playing in the background you got the you got the thunderstorm so that they can hit the ball they're using metal bats little college action i'm into it twilight terrible movie horrible script all of the words spoken in that scene are a disaster but it's, it's a it's a riot love where me some, did they get me the some uniforms. robert pattinson i have no the uniforms idea uniforms
2: are like clearly ta- tailored by someone who never watched baseball so it's not like it's not like they were antiques that they picked up because they were like 100 years old or something i'm just I, I have i mean i have so many questions but none i i really want answered
3: it's like baseball, but make it like kind of sexy, but only for middle schoolers you know it 's like they have to satisfy all of these different buckets at the same time
2: God well okay bobby since you, since you were the one who brought up Twilight, we are going to get down to our top three games, top three fictional games that we would uh that we would have liked to have tended. Bobby, what is your number three game?
3: Uh, all right, I want to start with uh, a Disney movie because i 'm a SAP and I love. Movies that are geared towards kids because I'm just a child. Uh, game number three for me is the game, the final game in Rookie of the Year, Cubs versus Mets. I like to call this one the Float It Game. Float it. Float. And this is—I just want to say—I want to pat myself on the back real quick. This is pretty big of me picking a Mets loss as as a big Mets fan that I am. Um, I really love this movie because, uh, who among us has not wanted to be a 10 year old or 12 year old or however, however old Henry Rowengartner is in this movie, uh, who has not wanted to be a major league baseball player while also being in middle school. Um, and then another highlight of that scene for me is, uh, when he actually strikes out the dude who I think his name is a Hedo, Hedo, Hedo,
2: Hedo, Hedo, Hedo. Yeah.
3: Not really sure how to pronounce it, but I like to think of him as Dave Kingman, who was on the Mets and was a notorious asshole. Um, And he strikes out to end the game, and as Henry Rowan Gardner is screaming, his voice just completely cracks, and they just left that take in the movie, which is fucking amazing.
2: Never forget that Henry Rowan Gardner tried to get Chet Stedman to fuck his mom. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby, when is the last time you've seen Rookie of the Year? I have to Uh, ask. Have you seen it as an adult?
3: No. Is it, re- is it bad? Does it not yeah. hold up? Yeah.
2: Uh, if uh, all episodes of this podcast are evergreen, you can check out that episode with my guest, Mike Camerlengo. We were not kind. Little Big League is the better movie and should be remembered more fondly. But
3: for some reason, Rookie of the Year is. I think it has a better name. I don't know. Maybe not. They're both pretty good.
1: It's really unfortunate going back and watching some of like my favorite sports movies, From when I was a kid, like as an adult and being like, this is going to hold so much nostalgia and being like, no, actually, this kind of sucks. Was
3: this was this a waste of an hour and a half of my time? The dirty secret of baseball movies is that it's really hard to make baseball look good. So like most of the ones that you hold nostalgia for, you're like, um, it doesn't that looks like it's going about 45 miles an hour. So that's like the original
2: genesis of this podcast is just respecting authenticity in sports movies. And so after doing this for a year, I feel a little dead inside over how many sports movies (laughs) I've had to go back and rewatch. But Rookie of the Year might have been the low moment for me because I did have so much fondness for it. Yeah. uh, In that I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then an hour and a half later, I was just kind of like, oh, what what the hell just happened? Um, Pretty tough, but I, I will say if if you had been at the actual game watching a 10-year-old lob up a slow pitch softball pitch to to clinch the uh
3: I was it to clinch like the division to go into the playoffs I think so i was reading the summary of this movie before we got on this podcast and it was to clinch the division to go to the world series so uh baseball rules were not the same as they were in the 90s when this movie was made
2: i don't think they had a baseball consultant
3: on I don't, the uh... yeah i don't think so either um also, I want to say Henry Rowengardner. They brought him in for like a three-inning save. That's a lot of trust from that manager. You know, that's like, that's like beyond Aroldis Chapman trust. That's like Lance McCullers in the 2017 World Series. <laughs> and Henry Ro- Rowengardner does not have another pitch.
2: He just has a fastball.
3: Yeah, I know. And it's like they, they act like this 100-mile-an-hour fastball is completely unhittable to every major league hitter. Okay, well, did uh, did Rookie of the
1: Year predict the way that managers would start using relievers in the year twenty
3: nineteen? In this, this is essay, uh, Mike, Michael I will coming up. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, John Alex Candy on. too. John Candy, real quick before we get off Rookie of the Year, John Candy could have been a real baseball announcer. That's my final take about that. Movie. He was
2: great. He was legitimately great. He went uncredited in that movie too, which he, is I, I think it's more. Well, I think it's more for like his legacy. He was like, now nah, you, you don't have to put me on this one just, just He's like, like
3: James denouncing. Corden denouncing cats
2: like it but that's like while cats was out like right after cats was out um shout out Sean Fantasy his favorite movie um Alex your number 3 fictional movie that you would have wanted to attend fictional game yes uh
1: this one comes from a league of their own starring the incredible Gina Davis star of this movie and uh and as I'm sure many of you know about the Rockford Peaches following the, uh, the inaugural season of the all American girls professional baseball league. And, and the game I would want to have, have attended is that, that final, uh, that final game between of the season between the Rockford Peaches and the Racine Bells. They meet in the world series. It goes to a game seven. This whole season has been the, the, the underlying storyline has been this rivalry between Dottie Hinson and her sister Kit, who is, a uh, who's traded to the, to the Racing Bells halfway through the season. And so you have these two sisters facing off. And, and Game 7 itself is a, is a great game with, with great pitching, great offense, and, and a lot of great plays. But, but obviously it comes down to the very last play in this one where, uh, where Dottie goes to, the, goes to the mound and says, hey, my sister Kit can't hit the fastball, and she loves the high fastball throw her three high fastballs. And so I uh, lost my train of thought there. <laughs> and so she gets one high fastball, strike. Second high fastball, strike. Third high fastball, hits it in the gap. Kit rounds third, barrels over her sister, the catcher, knocks the ball out of her glove, and, uh, and the racing bells win the, win the championship. And it's just, I, I think that t- to have been there in that moment, especially when the the national attention was so far removed from baseball at this point, because it's all happening amid uh, World War II, it just would have felt like you were tuned in onto this like really stunning like historical moment that like only you and a handful of others were were privy to, and uh, yeah, it would have been.
2: It would have been tight. Baseball in the forties. <laughs> I mean, Alex, I, I, I think you know the question I have to ask, though. Did Dottie <laughs> drop the ball on purpose?
1: Yeah, I kind of figured that that would be addressed. And and no, I I don't think so because because Dottie never gave Kit anything, and I think it's that it's something that is shown out in there in their sisterly rivalry over. Over the over the course of the movie, I think that Dottie herself was too competitive to have to have let that happen. Although I know that there's a lot of anti uh, anti Kit sentiment among fans of this movie who think that she's the real villain. But you know, she was she was just trying to play hard. She's just trying to win. So I think it was a, I think it was a fair knocking knocking of the ball out of the glove. What I'm hearing is that you support barreling the catcher over. It was it was the 40s, man. There were no <laughs> rules back then.
2: I support Kid and then I love how much of how much she cares. Yeah. With with significantly less talent than a lot of her peers, which is something I can really relate to. <laughs> but at the same time, Dottie was the best player in the league. It's like if uh, like when, when Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds were going at it, like imagine Jeff Kent getting the upper hand on Barry Bonds. Yeah. It's just it's not gonna happen. It's just, Kit, Dottie, if Dottie had wanted to, she could have like taken two steps up the line and just flattened Kit and yeah, then dropped the ball on her face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I also think that that's what would have made being in the stands for that so stunning, right? Because no one there is expecting that to happen. Even you as the viewer, you're like Kit blows through the, the third base stop sign. She is absolutely going to get shot at the plate and uh, she just lowers her shoulder. So I guess, I guess you got to respect it.
2: The guys running the like the books, like the gambling, probably wanted to have some words with Dottie after the game. I'm sure. What if Dottie threw the game on purpose? What if Dottie was in deep to the sharks?
1: Oh my gosh. We're we're deep in conspiracy theory for a league of their own.
3: I feel like every baseball movie either has a subtext or like a, a written text of like throwing the game. What what is going on with the psyche there? that's actually even in even in the games that i was like watching
1: and and picking for this segment there's always like an owner who doesn't want them to win or yeah. or like is just trying to and frankly i think that like a lot of the a lot of the storylines end up being like <laughs> dare i say pro labor where they're all like defying the the money grabbing guys at the top
3: <laughs> yeah there's like some nebulous take out there where we could start talking about how the people who made the movies are part of labor unions in Hollywood and they want to support the, the laborers in baseball, but we're, we're not going to make that uh, egg-heady take right now.
2: <laughs> well, that's like the opposite of the replacements where it just categorizes striking football players as, as babies who went off to their mansions. So, <laughs> God. I love the replacements, but in terms of how it, how it looks at, at athletes, it, it's very labor negative. Big Screen Sports is presented by BetOnline.ag. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag, still has hundreds of sports events and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. Turn your quarantine place into your own casino. That sounds like a win to me. Uh, It's all open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, Stocks, even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's 100%. That is all your money plus your money. With your first deposit, be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. I am going to move into my number three which is the final game of the season from the Bad News Bears, where it is the the Bears versus the Yankees. And as an emerging Little League dad, I'm a T-ball dad. Well, I was a T-ball dad until uh, T-ball was canceled. But uh, th- there's you've got a little bit of everything in this game. It would have been a wild game to attend. I don't know if I would have wanted to have been a parent at the game, like had any stake in it, but I would have just liked to have been a silent person sitting in the stands, kind of people-watching. You have just the the ultimate and crazy little league parents, the worst people. There there's so many bad adults in that movie. Uh, yeah. The Yankees manager who abuses his son mid game, uh, his little sidekick who runs the league with him, and it's like very much like clearly wants to fuck him. It's it's kind of a weird thing. Uh, Buttermaker himself, it's just like a a bad adult Hall of Fame movie. Yeah. Um, in this game, you have a dad, the aforementioned Yankees manager, pushing his child on the mound, then said child offering. The biggest fuck you ever by catching that squib to the mound and sitting on it to let his mortal enemy get an inside the Parker, which is just all time like we're in the twilight zone. Uh, And then a coach pulling the best pitcher in the league in the top of the last inning of a championship game, putting in all the scrubs to allow the other team to put up a seemingly insurmountable number. You have Timmy Lupus making the grab. Like the in real life, the the Timmy Lupus of the little league team will never make a catch. Like that just doesn't happen. Would yeah, have loved to possible. have seen it. Would have been one of the only feel good moments in this game. Um the Bears come back and then like the Kelly leak intentional base on balls, but stick the bat out, triple thrown out at home. That would have been very exciting. And then at the end, you get to watch uh eleven and twelve year olds drink beer. It would have just been a kind of a wild spectacle, a legitimately like being in the Twilight Zone.
3: Yeah, can I make a brief counterpoint, though? Absolutely. Watching watching Little League baseball or being involved in Little League baseball really tough when you're an adult, you know. And I, oh, I yeah. know that oh, you 100%. just mentioned that briefly. I mean, obviously, of course, this scene is fantastic, and watching little kids drink beer would be, um, I guess, fun, which was an okay thing to do in the '70s. But <laughs> uh, I was a I was an umpire for uh, eight year old baseball and. It's a it's a real tough hang, man. It's real tough out there.
2: I coached nine year olds right after I got out of college, <laughs> and I will never do that again. Yeah, ever.
1: Um, I just I would just like a brief aside on on the hairstyles of the, these kids on this team, and I know this is the '70s, but I'm so curious what compelled just young children to go with blonde hair, like. Down to the neck, like this is a hairstyle even my dad had back in the seventies. And I, what was in the water back then is really just what I want to know.
3: I have no room to talk. My hair hair, looked like that. Fashion. My hair looked like that in Little League. I got no room to talk at all. (laughs) My hair was like really long, and like it made my hat fit really weird. And when I would pitch, my hat would fall off. It was like this whole big thing. But you You can't tell. You 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 need to flow. You can't tell anyone under the age of like sixteen, even under the age of like eighteen, that they need to cut their hair. That's just like everybody thinks that they're a rebel without a cause. And and then their cause, I guess, is their hair.
2: I've been coaching some twelve to fourteen year olds lately, and some of their hair, I'm just like, What are you what are you kids doing? You guys are gonna look back at your pictures and you're you're gonna regret it. And then I realize That's always I the line, like right? Parents. Yeah. yeah, then I realize <laughs> I sound like my parents and then I realize I'm getting old and then I just get sad.
3: You're going to so, look at uh, your pictures and going to regret It's like in the same part of the brain that's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed.
2: Yeah, it's tough. It's uh, and the thing is, you're right, but you're also aging yourself. So you don't feel right. It, it's just a tough this has been a tough wormhole going down from the, from the bad news bears. Uh, I, 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 would like to, I would like to move on now. Uh, Bobby, let's get to your number two and my number two. What, what is your number two game you would have wanted to attend?
3: Uh, so at number two, I have, for love of the game, the perfect game, Tigers versus Yankees, Kevin Costner, who dare I say, I mean, I know we've talked about Bull Durham briefly, but he doesn't pitch in Bull Durham. Dare I say he's the best thrower of a baseball in the history of baseball cinema what do you think per
2: this podcast he is the greatest athlete actor of all time yes because he can hit he can believably hit pitch and golf he okay his, his let's just do a
3: kevin costner brief aside real quick I love Kevin Costner brief sides. let's do this <laughs> first of all look looks absolutely fantastic in every scene in every movie that he's in, especially the baseball movies yeah love love a baseball uniform on a on a rugged dude who just has like a a normal old man strength body number one number two the only thing that's missing from his pitching delivery is like the length of the the step you know, so like if you watch. Someone like Jacob deGrom, they step really far to- towards home plate. He doesn't quite have that base. But everything else, everything above the waist is absolutely perfect. And I then also swing, chalk that up to Billy Chapel being old as shit. Yeah, like he's like 40. But his swing, too, in Bull Durham is actually legitimately really believable. It's like a major leaguer swing who's giving like 60% in batting practice, which is enough. It's enough for me in context with all of the other players who are pretty bad at playing baseball. And in 10 cup he look he
2: legitimately looks like he could go out there and shoot a 65. Which yeah. Golf Digest did an incredible oral history of that of that movie. I think he did get like close to scratch if I remember correctly. Which That's is incredible.
3: Really so so the perfect game and for love of the game, it's obviously caked in a lot of nostalgia. It's caked in like the uh, these are a lot of like like these are basically all just movies about guys and their dads, you know? Like, when he looks out in the outfield and he sees his dad telling him to just throw it straight into the mitt. And when, you know, when John C. Riley comes out and he's like, you and me, one more time, and just throw, and all of that stuff. And it's like all of this very, like, Disney Channel style, like, language. But for some reason, that feels you know, I'm pretty syna- I'm a pretty cynical and pessimistic person, but in baseball movies, that stuff feels right. And I think that this scene does it extremely well. The other thing that I will say for this scene, obviously it'd be really fun to be at a perfect game like if you were sitting there in the stands, but as a watching experience as a movie watcher, the way that they integrate like the TV broadcast with you actually being on the field and and you know like the announcers and the crowd noise and the Yankees fans heckling him and also like back to Kevin Costner, like him wearing that that thermal underneath his Tigers jersey also looks really legit to me. Love a thermal um it's all just really authentic and i think i tried to skew i I tried to get at least one scene in here that felt like authentic baseball to me because it does matter when i'm watching a baseball movie how real the baseball itself looks
2: yeah this one was it was my number two as well i had in my notes you would if you were attending you would miss out on vince scully which is one of the better
0: parts of the movie and you know, Steve, you get the feeling that Billy Chapel isn't pitching against left-handers. He isn't pitching against pinch hitters. He isn't pitching against the Yankees. He's pitching against time. He's pitching against the future, against age, and even when you think about his career, against ending. And tonight, I think he might be able to use that aching old arm one more time to push the sun back up in the sky and give us one more day of summer.
2: I think for love of the game, kind of like you said, for love of the game, I think in in just the general scope of baseball movies, does the best job of like portraying big league baseball or the feel of a big league broadcast, like how they do it with old Yankee Stadium and Vince Scully, the TV broadcast. It's just, it's extremely well done. And yes, they are going, they are trying to like pull your heartstrings out and make it a dad movie. It's very much like, it's very much like a precursor to the works of Gavin O'Connor that are just like, we're going to hit you in the, in the fields with chills as mm-hmm. much as we possibly can, but it's awesome. And yeah, like I've never seen a no hitter or perfect game in person. I saw Pedro throw a 15 strikeout two hitter against the Orioles. That's as close as I'm going to get. I feel like, um, yeah, I was, awesome. I was at Scherzer's no
3: hitter. I was at Scherzer's no hitter on the last game of the season against the Mets which was that tough for me to watch the Mets get no hit, but it was also an incredible performance, and the Mets had already clinched a playoff spot, so it didn't really matter. Um, the other thing is uh, Randy Newman is playing as this scene starts, which is pretty dope. Shouts to Randy Newman. <laughs>
2: um, you also get to see a Dwayne Wise-style catch, like from Bertoli's perfect game. That, that center fielder yes. who has the Canseco mishap redeems himself. That would have been cool. Like the only downside is Billy Chapel is just throwing poo from inning seven to nine. And so every, <laughs> you your anxiety is probably heightened if you're seeing that in person. Cause you're like, God, this guy has nothing and he's getting outs. Alex, your thoughts.
1: Uh, I saw Matt Cain's perfect game. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's a, it's a little hard to, um, compare, but, uh, but I, I frankly, I enjoyed the defense. That's that's like the best part of the um, of like a perfect game is those like those plays in the ninth inning that absolutely save the game. I feel I, those are like the moments where you're like, I cannot believe I just saw that in person. Yeah.
2: If Mark Burley doesn't sit, send Dwayne Wise something nice every year on the anniversary <laughs> like of that like perfect car. game. I need, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like something all out.
3: Can I uh, can I make two nitpicks with this scene and with this game Absolutely. in general? Number 1 no manager in their right mind would ever bring someone up in the bullpen in the middle of a perfect game. That is so against all baseball superstition. I'm furious at the fact that that manager did that. Please never give that manager another job after the Tigers.
1: That wait, that's a that's a thing that happens now, though, right? Like you got a rookie pitcher who comes out, he's got a perfect game, say in like the the sixth inning, and he's at a hundred pitches, and the the manager's like, "All right, screw it, I don't want to blow your arm up." I mean, it certainly would have wouldn't have happened, like two decades ago. Obviously. His not is they already blown up. He's like
3: 45. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, it, it wouldn't have happened in the 90s. It would happen now. Although I'm trying to think like, is there any pitcher? Cause especially Bobby, I, I'm sorry in advance, but especially after Johan's no hitter, um, yeah. like managers definitely taking more care. Is there a pitcher now who is old enough and in a part of their career where if they go deep enough into a game, like, Scherzer is still too valuable. Like, yeah, I would hate to pull Max Scherzer in the middle of a perfect game. I feel like that's that you'd get hazard pay for that. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, maybe if like Bartolo a couple years ago had a perfect game, and I mean, even though Bartolo would never run up a pitch count like that, but like if Bartolo yeah. was at a buck twenty in the seventh inning, you're, I guess you're just letting him go. I feel like.
3: I feel like there's a there's got to be a few that were maybe not thinking of. I think uh, Verlander might. I think, honestly, I think that depending on the manager, I think someone might let Garrett Cole go pretty far. You know, like Houston let him go, I think up to like 115 in the playoffs last year. So, you know, if they're running up 120 in the seventh inning and it just doesn't seem like there's any feasible way for them to get out of it, maybe not. But um, I don't see someone in a perfect game. I don't see someone pulling out someone like Verlander or Cole before like 130 because even like a couple years ago like joe ross went 135 for a no hitter it wasn't even a perfect game and he didn't even make it he he gave it up in the ninth
2: didn't edwin jackson run up like 150 for that no hitter
3: yeah i i am convinced
1: that jamie moyer could still could still get out there and throw like a complete game i mean his arms just got to be rubber at this point i know he's like what almost 60 but I, I think he's probably still got some gas in the tank.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we, we were, I mean, we, you mentioned at the top of the show, Kyle, that we just rewatched or watched. I actually watched it for the first time all the way through the 91 game seven. And I, I don't even know. We didn't even bother looking up what Jack Morris's pitch count was because it was literally not brought up one time on the broadcast. And they brought up Smoltz's pitch count because he actually got pulled because he crossed 100 pitches in the eighth inning. But Jack Morris was like, it didn't matter. And so, yeah, I think that there is no way feasibly that in the 90s or whenever this movie takes place that they would ever bring up someone in the bullpen for someone that this is this late in their career. My other nitpick is when John C. Riley comes out to to meet with him and um, right before he tells him to just throw (laughs) Kevin Costner, he says um, he says he asks if anyone's been on base. That's like the biggest no-no of all time. No one would ever do. You'd never jinx it. You would know that no one's been on base, and the catcher would not talk about it back to you. You wouldn't just meet at the mound and say that.
4: How you doing, Ace? Anybody been on base?
0: Nobody. Nobody. This I ain't seen much of. Hmm. Me neither. Chappy, I never have.
3: I'm very I'm a big stickler for superstition. Well, John C. Riley, Gus
2: Sinski, he also takes that in stride. He's like, he's very earnest with it. Like, nope, nobody's been on base, and he's not like, wait, how do you not know this? <laughs> I know, right? He's <laughs> not, he's not like a little worried for his for his guy. Um, just quick aside, you mentioned uh, you know Jack Morris in that game. If uh, if you were a frequent watcher of the Twins '91 World Series VHS, like I was, there is a uh, little mini interview with Jack Morris where he basically told Tom Kelly, "There's no way you're taking him out of the game, taking yeah. me out of the game." Um, and just to correct the record, Edwin Jackson threw an 149 pitch no hitter with.
3: There it eight is. Walks.
2: Eight walks, which is incredible. I would have loved to have been at that game. Y'all should do that one.
3: Yeah, (laughs) you probably should. I, yeah, eight walks is, I don't know what the MLB record is, but I was watching Bull Durham earlier today and uh, in in Nukes' first appearance, they say that he has 18 walks and 18 strikeouts. I think that's literally impossible. Like, that's like a 200-pitch game.
2: I see. I haven't done the Bull Durham episode yet, but that is, like... It, it, obviously it's all my it's the the one i I cannot wait for yeah, but that yeah. like just to start off with, like he is the top prospect because that was on I was gonna put that as honorable mention, but he's the top prospect in the organization. And they let him do that in his first game. It's I mean, I get it. The 80s appearance. are a different time. Just doing the math, just to, um, just to strike out 18 batters, if you did it on three pitches each, 54. that's 50, yeah. 54 pitches, 18 batters, walk them on four balls each. That's 72. So he's literally like at 125. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and he's still got to come up with, uh, with nine other outs.
1: This this just sounds like we're just talking about Nolan Ryan
3: at this point, isn't that what he went out there and did? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Anyway, Kyle, what do what do what do you have that I missed from For Love of the Game from that scene? Not
2: not really much. Um, I I just it's more of just like why I like For Love of the Game. I think it's underappreciated just because of Costner's other two baseball movies. I think Bull Durham is just top tier. It's it's my favorite. Um, Field of Dreams isn't for everyone, I guess, I guess there is, I don't know where you guys fall in that crowd, but I love field of dreams. I think it's fantastic. It's just all about that. If you're a big softy like me, you love field of dreams. Yeah. And for love of the game kind of gets thrown into a second tier. And I think part of that is because not everyone's in love with the love story and the whole Kelly Preston subplot, which you know, you can take or leave it. But as far as the game goes, it would have been seeing a perfect game in old Yankee Stadium would be fantastic. And if you go like if you were going like full Bartman and you had the radio in your ear, so you were listening to <laughs> Vince Scully full, Bartman. like not not asking questions about why Vince Scully's calling the Yankees Tigers game. I, I think it just would have been would have been sick, would have been an incredible experience. Full Bartman is my Reddit burner. <laughs>
1: you you guys are talking about Kevin Costner pitching baseball, but I just watched JFK last night, and so yeah. all like all I can see when you guys are talking about him is him in the suit just being like, "I haven't slept or I haven't been awake for three
2: years." It's do just that like, accent. Do the accent. I'm not I'm not going to do the you Kevin Costner JFK coward. accent. I have so I have so many like. The best actors and Kevin Costner is a good actor. I mean, the best actors make you forget who they are during a good performance, at least. Like, but I just cannot separate Kevin Costner from nope. his baseball roles in anything, no, else. me either. Yeah, not at all. No, <laughs> which is it's tough. Um, Alex, let's go to your number two, which is my number one. Uh, take us there. What's your number two best fictional game?
1: It's game 163 in Major League.
0: Again, everybody, Harry Doyle bidding you a big Wahoo welcome from Municipal Stadium, where tonight, before a capacity crowd of 75,000 screaming featherheads, the Fighting Braves of the Cuyahoga will leave their teepees in search of Cleveland's first league championship in over 30 years, standing in the way their longtime nemesis, the New York Yankees. Trying to put the stop
3: on the Yanks will be Eddie Harris, the tribe's veteran right-hander. Bonnie, anything to add? Uh, no. he's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. All right, we're set to go. Great uh,
1: great film that um I think it's fair to say it hasn't aged
2: terribly well. Um it's well, not well. not as bad as you think, really. There's there's some question marks, but it's not like it's not unwatchable no. age bad. It's yes. not like Ronan Farrow isn't canceling major league
1: <laughs> that, that's true but i also like you know i say that i want to be in the we haven't even gotten to the game yet but i i say that i want to be in the stands for this game but it's also like every crowd shot is just like a bunch of white people in like native american headdresses and, yeah. Like yeah, up hard, and i'm like i would All, be ashamed although, to be in the stands but i would be there
3: aging that that hasn't changed you know <laughs> in fair. 2020 the indians fans <laughs>
2: are still doing that they yeah. like to make us think that just because they got rid of Chief Wahoo, that doesn't happen anymore, yeah. but it does. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's game 63,
1: a one-game playoff for the Eastern Division title between the Indians and the and the Yankees, and this is just, it's like a nail-biter of a game, right? I mean, it's uh, it goes to 2-2 uh, into the ninth inning, and it's filled with, like, great defensive plays. The Willie Mays Hayes catch uh, to rob a home run in the sixth inning is, I mean, it would have been stunning to watch that game in person. And as I went back and like was watching this movies, I I started to realize that for some reason, directors who made baseball movies really liked the drama of like bunts, like sacrifice bunts. And that's literally how this game ends, right? When, uh, when Taylor calls his shot twice and then lays down a sacrifice bunt to score a runner from second. I'm like, this is what compelled you to make this the, the pivotal dramatic moment in your game. I, uh, I don't know, but it's still great baseball.
2: So I have this as my number one game I would have wanted to attend. And I do want to put the caveat in there that Jake Taylor was probably a like a 30 runner at best would have a hundred (laughs) percent been out without a doubt. I I made the case when I, when we covered major league, I believe on episode three of this podcast. Um, but that final play, I think would have been better. Like if you're in attendance would have been better than a walk-off home run or a walk-off strikeout, like in major league two, because like a walk-off home run there's, unless it's like, a lot of times it's a no-doubter or it's like the Longoria home run that just went over in in game 163 for the Rays where there was like a like a second or two of oh is that going to go out? So this is a like in terms of baseball is a very long play cuz you've got the bunt. You're like screaming your face off hoping Jake Taylor beats us out. And when he implausibly does, then you have Willie Mays Hayes coming around third and he scores like that would have been an incredible way to end it. But it's just the most intense winner go home game in baseball movie history. Like from the get go, you have that incredible shot over the stadium, and you can like yeah. hear the energy from the crowd, and everyone's going crazy. Again, you might have to go full Bartman so you can have Harry Doyle in your ear breaking things down. Um, the Serrano home run, like imagine going apeshit for oh that. Oh my gosh!
1: And what he? And he carries his bat around the bases the entire time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> And then two other like huge fan moments. Like uh, imagine the Wild Thing walkout. Like being an Indians fan and Wild Thing's coming out to Mm -hmm. uh, to face Clue Haywood. And then the when Hayes gets on before uh, right before the Jake Taylor thing, and it's it's basically like the Dave Roberts steal. And everyone in the crowd is like, "Exact same thing." (laughs) Everyone in the crowd is like, "He's going," and it just would have been. I can't think of a better baseball game to attend like even a real one like I would have loved to have gone to game seven of the 91 series but I'm it it would have been exciting but I'm not sure it would have been exciting as this if you're an Indians fan one
3: of the one of the best things in baseball like one of the best situations you can set yourself up for is when someone who's a really great base stealer gets on first base in a situation where you know it's actually really beneficial for them to steal second and the pitcher knows it and the opposing team knows it and obviously, the runner knows it. And most importantly, the crowd knows it. And I think that this movie utilizes that really well. I will say, um, though, a sacrifice bunt is probably the least exciting play that you can imagine, the movie handles really well, like the third baseman charging, barehanding, and like the angle that they take that, that replay or that throw from um, as he's like throwing it to first. Is, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive cinema right there as far as baseball movies go. It looked yeah. pretty convincing. And Jake
2: Taylor is a right-handed catcher with bad knees in his <laughs> late 30s. It it's not a great
1: bunt that he laid. At least it's not great form. He actually, I mean, he made it works. So I guess you can't critique it that much. But it's it's no, more it's like, of like a swinging. A, bunt. It's like a slap kind of hit to,
2: to third that he yeah. just gets a piece of and just rolls over on. Imagine Gerald Laird like sprinting down. <laughs> I I just I I'm never going to be able to get over it. But. Uh, it, for for cinematic, per, if he is safe, it is an incredible game to go to. It is an incredible moment, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, and if he's out, then you're just heartbroken for the rest of your life.
2: Yeah, well, I it's uh, I mean, I think you're just uh, you're just incredibly deflated. Yeah, because then you have to. So it's like then what happens? I guess you leave Vaughn in. That's a that's a fun bag that we're not gonna we're not gonna open right now. Bobby, let's get to your number one. What is the the number one fictional game you would have wanted to attend?
3: The number one fictional game that I would have wanted to attend is from the movie The Sandlot. It is when they play against, I don't even know the name of the team, but it's like their town rivals, and uh, they're just talking a lot of trash. They're playing on uh, the town rival's field, and my man Ham Porter is doing a lot of trash talk behind the plate. Uh, The preceding scene to this is obviously the very famous you play ball like a girl. You eat
2: dog crap for breakfast, geek. You mix your weeds with your mama's toe jam. Yeah! Yeah! You pop for apples in the toilet, and you like it. You play ball like a girl.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What did you say? You heard me. Tomorrow.
2: Noon. At our field.
3: But I think the most underrated line in the movie is, if my dog were as ugly as you, I'd shave its butt and tell it to walk backwards. Um, That is what Ham says to one of the batters as he comes up in this scene. Um, I think, for me, watching baseball movies, it's like I want to feel like I'm having a good time. I want to feel like I'm having fun. I love the drama and everything. And I love the nostalgia of field of dreams, but I think Sandlot is probably my, I don't know. It's hard to say, but Sandlot is probably my personal favorite rewatchable baseball movie. Um, right there, neck and neck with Bull Durham, just because like it is legitimately funny and it's legitimately laugh out loud. And, um, I don't know. My best version of baseball is a, a bunch of kids playing on the Sandlot, I guess. And, uh, I also want to mention, um, Green Onions, the song that's playing in the in the background of this scene, <laughs> which is uh Alex and I's intro music. We've co-opted that for our podcast. And it's just kind of like this scene is sort of the the ethos of baseball to me. And um I I really appreciate the scene. I really love the scene. And I keep going back to it when I think about uh best baseball, best baseball vibes. You know, it's not necessarily like the most entertaining visual that you're like dramatically speaking because uh the sandlot kids absolutely wax the other team which is (laughs) pretty funny in the context of the movie um and cinematically like they they just choose a lot of like slides you know it seems like every play ends in a slide whether it's like a slide into second a slide into home or whatever but um i don't know i love this scene i would i would have loved to have been not necessarily watching but i would have loved to have been a kid there
2: i was gonna say i i you would have been the only one there Like you would have been the only one. So I was just, I'm not, I'm not shaming your choice here in any way. I'm just like, so hypothetically you roll up, you're just watching from the stands. They don't ask you to play, which is incredibly dickish. And then you, you and Alex go record your 1950s podcast. What do you tell him (laughs) you were doing that afternoon? Like, how do you describe the game to him?
3: I was just, Oh, how do I describe the game? Yeah. How do you
2: explain like the,
3: how incredible what you just saw was. I was just just catching some rays out there, you know, just hanging out, watching a good old baseball game. I don't know. I like I like when people are having fun when they play baseball. You know, Alex and I talk a lot about our favorite players are the ones who seem like they're having a really good time while playing the game. And uh, all these kids are having a really good time. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Alex, your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I, I don't know that I can say that. Of all the baseball game, baseball games in uh in movies that I'd want to attend, it would be a a Sandlot Little League game. Can I attend um, as a player? That I, th- I, I yeah, I
3: think the rules actually, are squishy.
1: I think that the context that you're like approaching this game really because if you're 12 years old and watching this game, yeah, this might be the greatest game you've you've ever witnessed. And if you're, you know, the first baseman uh, on the Sandlot team, then you're you're golden these are the these are the memories that are going to be seared into your mind so i definitely think yeah it's a lot weirder if you're the 40 year old in the in the stands who's just like kicking back with a (laughs) beard
3: when did i turn 40 how long have we been in quarantine (laughs) damn dude i'm turning
2: 24 (laughs) i think i would have rather gone to to the fourth of july game i think that would have been like if i'm like I guess I'm like chilling in the bushes at the Sandlot, just like watching <laughs> these kids. Which, when you say it that way, it sounds horrible. But that's my favorite scene from the movie: is them playing the game under the lights. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen that as well. But watching Ham Porter talk a gang of shit would have been fun. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah i I just wanna I want to watch a bunch of kids set off fireworks and just be like, "This is very." Uh, we're, you guys are going to get in a, a load of trouble and I'm just going to kind of sit back and kick back and enjoy the show.
2: <laughs> the one thing I'll say about the, the last thing I'll say about that game from the Sandlot with that other team, we talked about this on when it covered the, covered the movie way back last year with, uh, with Lana Berry and we both kind of were like, what is this? And I want to ask you guys what you think what is this other team doing? Just kind of like riding around in uniform every day. Do they not have a little league game to go to? Like, what is, what's the situation here? Why are these guys rolling around like this?
3: Uh, great question. It's
2: literal travel ball. I think that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bunch of kids who
3: are literally just traveling around looking for teams to play. Yeah. Rich kid barnstormers. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know you don't have a game every day when you're in a little league because there's obviously some some limits and some reasonable rules to that about how often you can play so i think they're just a they're just a gung ho group of kids who think that they're better than the sandlot kids and then they get they get whooped and they and they wear their jerseys everywhere because they think
1: they're like cool you remember like in like when you were 13 and you were like yeah i'm going to change into my into my jersey yeah, my after, after jersey. school before yeah. uh, before practice and then I'm going to walk yeah, out and gonna everyone's going to see my I'm going to wear my
3: all-stars jersey to school yep. yeah. to look. <laughs> People <laughs> well, are going to think I'm cool. The thing about this it, this scene is that it's like it's pretty Jets and Sharksy, you know? Like yeah. they they roll up and they're like, "All right, this is our, you know, you come fight us on our turf." And they're like, "Fine, we'll come fight you on your turf." And it's just kind of like a gang back and forth thing, but yeah, I I don't think that this is necessarily how, how kids are acting these days. What do you think, Kyle? I know you you are more tuned in with the with the 9 to 14-year-old demographic.
2: That, that's a weird label that I now have. <laughs> um, now, I mean, well, now it's all, it's like travel ball teams. I feel like Little League has gone by the wayside. I mean, I was just wondering why they're, I mean, I get rolling around in your uniform because you think you look cool, but like, just rolling, just rolling up on the sandlot, just like, hey, let's go, let's go see if we can pick a game with these guys in our uniform, but not play the game right there. Instead, do it tomorrow wearing the same. Like these moms have to be fed up. I mean, she, <laughs> like, like Johnny, you cannot wear your fucking uniform every day. I'm just, yeah, I don't want to do this that shit kind anymore. Of, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that kind of laundry. You're sweating up a storm biking everywhere in this thing. All they had was, was bikes.
3: Oh, they, didn't have, they didn't have smartphones. Let me put on my boomer hat real quick. They didn't have smartphones. They had to just roll up on their bikes and ask to play. can't just text them and be like, let's, let's play tomorrow at this time.
2: There's like a 9, 10-year-old kid who lives across the street from me. And every time I see him ride his bike, I'm like, wow, you kids are still doing that, huh? That's great. <laughs> like a Huffy bike? <laughs> That's Is he rocking a Huffy still? Oh yeah, no helmet. Uh, standing up on the pedals, he, he's still doing the same damn thing. It's it's, oh, it's no. really nice to see. It's
3: That's really nice. encouraging. Some things never change. Is he putting like the the like crushed up aluminum Coke can on the back of the back tire to make it make like a cool muffler noise? I think that got left in a past generation. Good. All right. That. I'm glad about that because that was a dumb trend that I felt like I had to participate in for like six months. <laughs> yeah.
1: I need I need kids still rocking the Razor scooters. That's that's really what I need. I need a those team are, of those little leaguers to roll up on the Razor scooters with like bruised shins and be like, come on, man, I'll, I'll play you in a game of ball.
2: Yeah. Whenever you guys end up moving to the burbs, when you get old like me and move to the burbs, you'll uh, you'll see you'll see what's going on.
1: <laughs> a glimpse um, into our future.
2: Yeah, now that uh, now that we're done talking about young children, Alex, <laughs> take us home to another with, with your number one another movie that features young children.
1: Featuring young children, yeah, a uh, a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, Hell yeah! Great, great, a uh, great feature from him. Yeah, this is uh, this is Angels in the Outfield. Really star-studded cast. We got Christopher Lloyd, got Danny Glover, as I said, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You've even got a Carney Lansford cameo in here, which is wonderful in ways that I didn't realize it would be. Um, once again, it's uh, it's the Angels playing against the White Sox in the last game of the season, competing for the Western Division title. It really like I feel like in like the '90s they were really they kind of shoehorned all these like um, these pivotal games into one. They're just kind of competing for the league title, I guess. Um, yeah, they no really w- hand to touch wave the that. World Series. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: it's all about penance, baby. I I think that like this movie in general actually like it, I mean it's really goofy and it's obvious. I mean it's obviously a kids movie, but it it brings in elements of like feeling like you're playing for something bigger and this idea that like you're playing maybe for these forces or with these forces that you can't always see. And whether that's, you know, something spiritual or, or whether that's your literal love for baseball, I think it actually ends up being kind of a, kind of a cute message. But, but anyway, this, this final game um, is really uh, tracks actually very closely with the final game in major league. Uh, You've got a, you've got a two, two game um, that going into like the eighth inning once again, we have a squeeze bunt to, uh, to put the Angels up three to two. We have, a, we have a starting pitcher, Mel Clark, who throws, I think, maybe like 160 pitches in this game. Complete game, he throws. I don't know why the manager didn't take him out. Just they put he had fucking
2: a- Tony Danza. They put Who's the Boss Tony Danza in a baseball movie. Never forget.
1: <laughs> it's literally, yeah, but, but he guts it out. And he uh, and he gets them the win against Carney Lansford, and uh, ends on a line drive back to the pitcher, makes the diving catch, no angels needed, and the uh, the Angels win the pennant, and it's a nice uh, it's a nice feel good story, and that. I think the, the moment for me that really sealed the deal is when, is when the, the players come out of the dugout and Joseph Gordon-Levitt comes out of the dugout and this, the fans all get up and they start waving their arms. like To be a part of that moment to, where you're just kind of like you're one with everyone else in the stadium, is, it, it would have been a, a real moment to be a part of.
2: Not to mention Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets adopted after this game.
4: Yeah,
3: <laughs> big day for him. I love the representation of a pitcher fielding his position. Big, <laughs> big into that big Greg Maddox energy out of that. His Hashtag form is kind of maddox athletes. Yeah, exactly. Hashtag pitchers are athletes. The other thing I love about this scene and about this movie in general is I've been on the hunt for one of these California angels hats since I moved to LA and so they're good. fucking fantastic. They're amazing hats. I, I think that m- maybe my favorite
1: part about this scene in general that really has nothing to do with the game is when, a uh, is when Christopher Lloyd's character, Al, comes down in the middle of the game to to tell Roger, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, that no, the Angels aren't coming. Um, angels never participate in championship games. He actually just came in to, to check on Mel Clark, who's going to die in six months because he's a smoker. So he doesn't have
2: that much time <laughs> left. But, but okay, Roger, enjoy the rest of this championship game. <laughs> My favorite part about this movie is that somehow it has two actors who won best actor and best actor Oscar. (laughs) That's, you know, they all need movies like this, I think. Incredible shit. Speaking of incredible shit, I just sent you guys a picture of like a promo picture I just saw online of McConaughey, like suspended in midair, I'm guessing by wires or something. And it's just, it's probably my favorite thing from this movie, but (laughs) I am, uh, I'm surprised that you picked an Angels in the Outfield game that does not feature the Angels. Like, you wouldn't have wanted to see Matthew McConaughey be spirited up into the air by, by a couple Angels and been like, what, am I on LSD? What is happening?
3: <laughs> this movie is definitely big. Like, I got inspired by the name of the team and thought of a whole movie idea, but didn't actually think about how the movie would play out energy.
2: A hundred percent. And randomly, like, hey, we're gonna make a baseball movie, and the you know the producers are ever like, oh, that's great, that's great. Well, are you gonna have anything like off the field? There's gonna be all baseball. Yeah, we're actually gonna have a scene where a dad abandons the uh, the main character, who's a young child. It's gonna be it's gonna be devastating. And they're like, yeah, it's the '90s. We'll green like that. <laughs> whatever we can, we can make anything. These times will last forever. Yep. <laughs> I I just want to imagine
1: lo- like doing a podcast in in this time and having to like talk about the fact that the manager of a baseball team had to address rumors that Angels were were taking part in his team's play and <laughs> we that, that trash can uh, and banging that was bad. He's kind of okay with this too. He's like, yeah, whatever it takes, man.
2: Performance enhancing Angels. Honestly, it's probably going to be like one of Hugh Freeze's press conferences at Liberty before he leaves. Just Something like that, like if Jeez. Liberty starts out next year like six and0 it's probably going to be something something along those lines if we're so, being honest
3: so since that was our final pick, if i'm not mistaken, I want to ask both of you guys um, I mean most none of these movies were from this decade if i'm not mistaken what is going on with baseball movies, and why have we are we on the other side of the curve in terms of directors who Grew up wanting to to use their cachet to write a baseball script like are more people interested in writing space scripts now and, and they don't want to use their cachet to to get a baseball movie made or I mean I guess Kyle you talk about this a lot um, on the show. Why don't we get any more good baseball movies. I mean I think we've shifted to a point.
2: And it's kind of, like, reflective of, of Hollywood, too. It's, like, um, there's a lot of based-on-a-true-story stuff or, like, biopics. Like, yeah. 42 was this decade. I don't know if Million Dollar Arm was this decade, but, like, movies like yeah. that that are not the... Because in sports in general, like, sports movies in general, there hasn't been as many, like, team-centric things, you know? like uh, Like a major league that it's, like, hey, underdog team... Get him to the championship. It's like people don't care about that as much anymore you you know it's all if you think about like I think the premier baseball movie of the last decade and and some people have an issue with it is Moneyball just because of like the stuff that it you know overlooks about the A's but it's still beautifully done. I love Moneyball. I can get over everything um but th- there's like. You take weird shots like Trouble with the Curve, which is the worst baseball movie of all time. But it's also like so rough. It's it's the it, I mean, it's it's the worst. Anyone who's listened to this podcast knows uh, it's it's horrible. If you want to listen to me rant on that movie for an hour and a half, check out, I think, episode seven with uh, with with the goat Keith Law. Um, but yeah, it, it's stuff like that where it's um it's either a biopic or it's um it's something that is not the traditional and I think that's it's kind of a sign of where we're going with sports movies is it is it's something it's either like front office stuff or it's I don't know if you guys saw the phenom because not a lot of people did but it is um it's a movie Ethan Hawke's in it and he plays this like kind of like a Marv Maranovic style dad and then his his son who he he turns into this you know he ends up being a, a hot prospect and he's like mentally struggling because he grew up with an abusive, crazy father. And it's about, it's more about him and his psychiatrist, you know, Paul Giamatti who played by Paul Giamatti. It's more stuff like that. There's like, like everybody wants some, which I think is an incredible baseball movie. It captures the vibes of college baseball, but it actually doesn't feature much baseball. Um, The last good baseball movie that actually features like a lot of on field stuff. That's like, that's unique. That that's original. I feel like is sugar, and that came out in two thousand eight. So, I think it's you know I, I think that's kind of an indication of where we're going with with this. I can't think of anything since sugar that's an original baseball movie that actually worked that featured a lot of baseball and baseball games. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong.
3: No, I think you're right. And even like even if you look outside of if you look outside movies, like, um, you know, I really love Brockmire, but that features barely any baseball and they don't even try to, like, fake it. You know, they they just they make a joke about how everybody is not very good at playing the game. So, I don't know, but it feels like right now, like, with the way that we've come so far with technology and cinematography and set design and everything, like, you would think that making baseball look convincing would be easier than ever. Like, I, I even think if you watch The Natural obviously Redford looks pretty convincing and like his Mickey Mantle style swing or whatever is legit, but it's not like everybody else in that movie and and the baseball itself is particularly believable. I mean, he hits the cover off a ball and then it hits the lights in the outfield, you know, nothing, nothing about that in 2020 feels realistic, but I don't know. I feel like now we have so much more technology to help out with that, but it just doesn't seem like anybody is that motivated to do it.
1: I, I think that a, a large part of it probably has to do with the the appetite for these types of stories. I think that a lot of the better sports movies that have come out over the last decade or decade and a half have have tried to tell stories that are a little bit left of center, whether they're fictional um, or they're real. You know, movies like Major League and Angels in the Outfield and Bull... Like, I feel like so many of these movies just would not get made today because a lot of people would look at it and be like, well, why now, right? And I feel like, and I don't think that like every movie that or piece of work that comes out today has to like, quote unquote, say something. But I also think something that so blindly like ignores the world around it. I think that a lot of these movies might get panned for that sort of thing. And if you if you do go beyond movies um a tv show like pitch uh back in 2016 was a great tv show that that only lasted one season but that was the kind of story that not only featured like a a good amount of on-field action but tried to tell these stories that weren't just like mostly white dudes just trying to win the championship at the end of the day you know and i think that like if we're going to see more like fictionalized stories It will probably trend to towards that, towards telling those stories that just like haven't been present in the narrative
3: for the last thirty or forty years. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want want baseball's high flying bird. That's it. I just want that. that. Oh yeah, because like there's so much context around the way that we talk about baseball now. I mean, Alex and I, we can't go one podcast without talking about labor. Like, just just make baseball's high flying bird. That's what. It, about the commodification of athletes that, that's what that movie was about and about what it means when you become uh, famous and, and how you can take back the power dynamics and everything and like baseball is not immune to any of those conversations and I just think that, that either no one's trying or no Hollywood producer is greenlighting it or um, I don't know their minds are just different places but I'm, I'm yearning and I think the larger baseball fandom um, who cares about like the culture surrounding the game is also yearning.
2: I mean I think there's absolutely potential for that. And cuz I mean the there's clearly not an appetite anymore at least among people who are making movies for the traditional style baseball movie. Yeah. The the major league, even something like For Love of the Game, just a, a sappy story about nothing but baseball. There's not really an appetite for it and you can't really remake something like Bull Durham. But, like, what you said would probably have to be, like, was... Did Soderbergh just do High Flying Bird for Netflix? Yes. Yeah. Then I think that's probably... That's probably our best bet of of getting a new cl- classically good baseball movie. A, a, a movie that features good action. There's Hope on the Horizon with the... Um, a League of Their Own series on Prime. The, mm-hmm. That I... That they're... I think they filmed the pilot. Um... But there's hope on the horizon in that regard. But I think if we're going to get a new book or a a new movie that is not existing IP, like a Moneyball or something like that, it's going to be like a high flying bird that was for Netflix. You just have to find someone with the passion to make it. Ron Shelton is still alive. He could still do this.
3: Yeah. Ron Shelton, if you're listening, make high flying bird, but with (laughs) baseball. (laughs) Would would
2: love to see it. I mean, it's it's kind of surprising that they haven't, especially after the the critical and financial success of Moneyball, that more people haven't said, Hey, you can get baseball on the screen and it can work and people will go see it. Um, I because when you when you look at baseball movies that have come out since that have failed, it's been stuff like Trouble with the Curve or that new Joe Manganiello movie that came out last year or the year before yeah. or something, that just fucking dog shit. It's like stuff like that isn't gonna work because they're not good movies and it's not good baseball. But if you get there's so much about baseball, there's so much about baseball that has been like tapped and the bottles full that your your major leagues, your bullderm, stuff like that. Like that stuff is full. There's so much untapped potential in baseball. Moneyball is just the tip of the iceberg. And what they could do with that and behind the scenes stuff as far as baseball, that it would be the the world is their oyster we just need someone to do it
3: yeah and uh, and also i don't even think this precludes something like making an animated baseball movie you know like uh, it's not we've seen with the success of something like backyard baseball that baseball fans are willing to geek out about something even if it's not like real real life 3d people
2: would you watch a backyard baseball animated series that features main character pablo sanchez Oh my gosh. Would I watch it? Yes.
3: Am I worried about it? Also, yes.
2: <laughs> I mean, there's a hundred ways that could go wrong, but there's one way it could go really right and Very I'm super right. into yeah. it.
3: And be like Spider-Verse Good to me, personally. <laughs> I feel like that's a that's a web series right there. Six or
1: six or eight episodes, make them like ten or twelve minutes long. I don't know that I need to see an hour and a half of Pablo. <laughs> feels like a little pa- Pablo overload but um but I like, think like
2: there he is hitting a home <laughs> run again <laughs> he does one thing and he does it very well i mean he's just he, pablo is just sh- shorter chubbier benny the jet rodriguez yeah yeah he is uh huh but he also pitches guys this was a lot of fun had a lot of a lot of good times breaking down these movies uh tell the folks again where they can find your podcast
3: uh yeah you can find it in any podcast app Just search Tipping Pitches. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's tipping underscore pitches. And our website with everything, all the information about what we're doing and projects and um, just a little bit more about Alex and I personally is tippingpitches.atvist.com.
2: And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can rate and leave a review. New episodes coming every Monday. Also remember to check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America, talking to current and former professional baseball players about their experiences after signing out of high school. That comes at you every other Tuesday, and we will catch you next Monday. Thanks.